if you had a fresh start to build a new country, a new civilization, just start from scratch, what would you do? How would you start? Jacob and Nephi were both given that fresh start. When we open 2 Nephi chapter 6, we find Jacob speaking to the Nephites. And it's very interesting to think about what does Jacob focus on and how does he inspire the Nephites to move forward as he and his brother literally have this mission and this calling to build a new civilization from scratch. Today, as I look out over both the world, friends in my inner circle, or just good members and Latter-day Saints who are trying to make changes, who are trying to defend truth, I keep asking myself this question, how do you rebuild civilization? Because really that's the calling that we have. And even if you're not involved in the more public arena of trying to uh, make a difference, change policy, change culture, maybe you don't have a big platform, even if you are a parent in a home or Also, if you're a single young man or young woman who's trying to get married, I mean, think about it this way. You're literally trying to build a new culture, civilization. You're trying to establish a kingdom in your home. How do you do it? What does it look like? And as I look out over the world, I've just so often just had this feeling too often we're trying to do it our way instead of the Lord's way. And when we look in the Book of Mormon, we see these amazing patriarchal fathers, Nephi, Jacob, Lehi. They're our founding fathers, essentially. They're our founding fathers of the covenant. They're the founding fathers of the Book of Mormon. And they had that same calling where they were trying to rebuild civilization. And we should listen to them. They knew how to do it. They were successful. And if we look in the Book of Mormon, we see that the Book of Mormon gives us a play-by-play, a perfect blueprint, an instruction manual to build a new civilization, build a country. I don't think too often we're using it that way, and we need to use it very specifically. We need to study it like our life depends on it, like our culture depends on it, because it does. So often, it's so easy to get caught up in all the negativity and the problems in the world. And sometimes I wonder if we pride ourselves on seeing those problems. Oh, we are awake. We can see all of the issues and corruption and um, even secret combinations going on out there, which is important. It's important to recognize the problem. But then sometimes I wonder if we fail to follow up that conversation with the solution. What is the answer? Where's the hope, right? How do we turn this around? And this is a key, I think, to reaching our youth. We don't just need to drill into our youth. Here's the problems. Be aware. Be, Be on guard of this or that. Our youth need a cause. They need something to rebuild and they need to know how to rebuild. So as we look into the Book of Mormon, Jacob really gives us some key points to consider. He's a son who was inspired by his father, to literally leave a very corrupt church, a corrupt culture, a corrupt country, a corrupt nation, physically leave it, not just spiritually, but he physically left and they literally had a clean slate. They were just starting from scratch. 
and he gives us some insight into how he and his brother moved forward in establishing really one of the greatest civilizations in recorded history. So if we open up these chapters in 2 Nephi chapter 6, verse 3, Jacob is speaking to the Nephites and he tells them, quote, I speak unto you again, for I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. Mine anxiety is great for you. And ye yourselves know that it ever has been, right? Jacob and Nephi, they just felt this burden and this responsibility as leaders, and they took that responsibility very seriously. Jacob says, For I have exhorted you with all diligence, and I have taught you the words of my father, right? Here's a son passing on the legacy that was given to him by his father, and now he's taking what his father taught him and taking it out to others. And Jacob says, I have spoken unto you concerning all things which are written from the creation of the world. So spoiler alert, what Jacob is about to do is he actually ends up quoting Isaiah chapters 50 through 52. And then the really fun thing is Jacob actually gives commentary on what those Isaiah chapters mean. We saw this in 1 Nephi in lesson 5 in the Simplifying Isaiah series where Nephi quotes Isaiah. He quotes two chapters in Isaiah to his brothers and then he literally gives a commentary simplifying and explaining the whole thing. Well, guess what? Jacob does the same thing here, just like Nephi. In 2 Nephi chapters 6 and 9 and 10, Jacob gives a beautiful commentary of Isaiah. So again, if you want to go study Isaiah, which this is not an Isaiah course, so we're not going to be going into all of that. But if you want to understand Isaiah chapters 50 through 52, go read Jacob's commentary. It's right there. But these are the points that Jacob gives. Remember, again, Jacob's context. He's sitting here in the midst of trying to help his brother establish the Nephite nation. And they're starting from scratch. And the first point he makes is a point that we see over and over and over in the Book of Mormon. And hopefully it's not a broken record by now in this podcast, uh, but that we are Israel. And that's something to pay attention to. So in 2 Nephi chapter 6, verse 5, Jacob says, and now the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spoke concerning all the house of Israel, wherefore they may be likened unto you, for ye are of the house of Israel. And you know what? These words from Jacob apply just as much to us as to the Nephites in Jacob's day. We are of Israel. They may be likened unto us. Jacob finishes, he says, there are many things which have been spoken by Isaiah, which may be likened unto you because ye are of the house of Israel. And then a little while later in 2 Nephi chapter 8, this is now verse 2, he's quoting Isaiah here, but he gives this beautiful, just this really beautiful call where he says, quote, look unto Abraham, your father. And unto Sarah, she that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him. End quote. This is a call to Israel that Jacob is giving to the Nephites. And I would submit that for every single one of us, I, I consider every single one of you that are listening to this podcast myself, we are culture builders, we are civilization builders. And we need to rebuild. We live in a world that is falling apart and we have a call to build something better. And as we follow that call and we try to think, how do we do this? 
we need to remember we are Israel and as Israel, we need to look unto Abraham and look unto Sarah. We're supposed to be becoming like the patriarchs. We're supposed to be walking in their footsteps, doing what they did. When Jacob and Nephi are setting up a new civilization, if you read the Book of Mormon, there is a common theme. They were trying to recreate the era of the patriarchs, the era of Abraham and Enoch and Adam. They were looking back to those men and saying, we're going to rebuild what they had. And if you come now to Joseph Smith, actually, and the restoration, we have the exact same call. Um, In Doctrine and Covenants section 132, the Lord specifically tells Joseph Smith to look to Abraham. He tells him, Abraham received all things whatsoever he received by revelation and commandment, by my word, saith the Lord, and hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne. In other words, Abraham made it. He became a God and he received promises, the Lord says. Abraham received promises concerning his seed and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are, namely my servant Joseph, right? So he's saying, Joseph Smith, I'm, I'm going to insert here also Latter-day Saints. You guys are descendants of Abraham. This is your ancestry. This is your blood. And Abraham got promises. And so those promises apply to you. This promise is yours also because ye are of Abraham. And the promise was made unto Abraham. And by this law is the continuation of the works of my father, wherein he glorifieth himself. Do the works of Abraham, enter ye into my law, and ye shall be saved. So this is really key. If you want to understand Joseph Smith, so many evangelicals or even some members are sometimes confused by Joseph Smith. What is he doing? What is his approach? How to get into his head? Well, Joseph Smith, where he was at in his head was really the same as Jacob and Nephi. And the best way to understand them, the best way to understand Joseph Smith is to understand the patriarchs. Joseph Smith did what they did. And we need to ask ourselves, are we as Abraham's seed today doing that? Nephi looked back to Moses. He looked back to the fathers and our righteous forebears, the pilgrims and the Puritans did the same. So again, these parallels in the Book of Mormon, when we see Jacob and Nephi establishing a new civilization, they're looking back to the patriarchs uh, in the Bible, these ancient great fathers, the pilgrims and the Puritans, as they came to America and were starting from a clean slate, they looked back to the fathers as well. And I would submit that in our own day, we are in a very similar situation. We are Nephi's. We are Jacob's. We are pilgrims. Uh, we need to rebuild a civilization that is falling apart. And if we want to succeed in that, we need to do what they did, which is we need to look back to the patriarchs. So Jacob continues and he quotes Isaiah and he explains Israel was scattered and they were scattered because they rejected the fathers. They rejected the gospel. They rejected Jesus Christ, but they will be gathered again and God will protect them. So all of the problems that we see in our civilization, the degeneration and the, and the suffering really is coming because we have rejected God, both in the days of ancient Israel and in the days of modern Israel. 
And the Nephites were given the second chance to rebuild. Now, this is what is so beautiful. And I want you to note this, especially as you read Jacob's words in 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. So Jacob does this fascinating thing where he starts talking about the fall of Adam. And he does this beautiful comparison between the fall of Adam with the fall of ancient Israel. And I would submit also the fall of the wickedness in our modern world as well. There's, it's this pattern of falling out of God's favor and rejecting. So in 2 Nephi 9, he talks about the fall of Adam. And it's this concept of you're in a heavenly home. You're with your father. You're, you're in your land of inheritance. You're in this covenant place, right? Adam is in the Garden of Eden. Ancient Israel was in the old world. They were in Jerusalem. They were in the land of Israel and they fell. And when they fell by violating law and breaking law, they were driven out. Adam and Eve had to leave their heavenly home. They had to leave the Garden of Eden. Ancient Israel had to leave and they were driven and scattered out of their own land. And in our own day, of course, uh, we see just a lot of suffering. And so in 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 6, Jacob says, For as death hath passed upon all men to fulfill the merciful plan of the great creator, right? There is a plan in this falling. God always turns uh, things that seem like, oh, this is a disaster. He can always turn it for good. But how does he do that? He does that through resurrection. He says there must needs be a power of resurrection and the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall. The fall came by reason of transgression and because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. So in other words, again, it's this theme. There's this transgression. So Adam and Eve were fallen. They're cut off from the presence of the Lord. And then, of course, in the days of ancient Israel, and Jacob draws this comparison in the chapters, he talks about how, you know, it's the same situation. Israel transgresses laws. They're cut off. They're scattered. And so what is the solution? It's this concept of resurrection. And when you read the Book of Mormon, it's really fascinating. You see this a lot with Alma, and there's a similar pattern with Jacob here. Resurrection and restoration are almost used as really synonymous terms. In fact, Jacob parallels and he wraps it all together. In other words, he basically does not separate at all the resurrection of our bodies after physical death with the resurrection of Israel as a people, as a government, as a kingdom, as well as the resurrection of the gospel. It's almost as if all three of them are the same subject, which I feel is really pertinent to us today because we as Latter-day Saints are looking forward with great anticipation to the second coming, the resurrection, all of these things. They're very important to us. And Jacob makes this point of saying, you know what, it's not just the resurrection of your body that, you know, your physical body, it's decaying, it has disease and sickness and you die and, and the day will come when your spirit and your body are reunited and, and everything is made whole. That is one part of it. But part of the resurrection is also the resurrection, not just of your physical body, but the people, the body of Israel, the government of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And the resurrection of the covenant. So it's the story of Israel rejected. They're driven out of their covenant home and we're trying to get back. And this is the restoration. So when we talk about, oh, Joseph Smith and the restoration and the restoration continues and all of this, 
This is the point. It's about resurrecting both our physical bodies, bringing healing, not just to ourselves, but to the earth, to the soil, to our government, to our culture, to our families. We need to resurrect and restore. Now, of course, we face issues where, in general, the people still struggle with rejecting. They don't want this resurrection. And we're going to talk about that next week in Lesson 9. Isaiah hits that so hard and very boldly, um, how we are still rejecting. But for now, let's just focus on this concept of, okay, we, in the past, we've been in a state of rejection and now it's time to come back. And how do we do that? Well, God gave laws by which to be governed. So in 2 Nephi 8 verses 4, um, Jacob is quoting Isaiah and he says, Hearken unto me, my people, give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me and I will make my judgment to rest for a light for the people. In other words, if you want to resurrect Israel, if you want to resurrect as a nation, if you want to rebuild civilization, you have to do it based on God's laws. And he has given us those laws. So as we go through the Book of Mormon parallels, we are going to see that. We see that the Nephites were given both ecclesiastical laws, but they were also given political kingdom government laws from God. And Both of them are a central theme in the Book of Mormon. The theme of freedom and politics is very strong in the Book of Mormon, as well as the spiritual ecclesiastical side, because both of them came from God and both of them are essential. And the Nephite destruction came when they rejected and forsook both. Same with the history of the last days. The signs of the times literally begins with the Reformation and the founding of America. Well, why America and not any other country? Because that is where God began gathering Israel first. It's the command base of operations. Now today, sadly, we are in a state where the United States has rejected that foundation, just as ancient Israel rejected her foundation. But the foundation is solid. The original moorings are solid. So the signs of the times begins where all of us have to begin. Nephi and Jacob had a starting point, the beginning of The signs of the times, the last days, begins at the same starting point, and it's where all of us have to begin, where every nation has to begin, going back to Jesus Christ and the law of God as the foundation. So you see this in the Book of Mormon with Jacob and Nephi. How did they rebuild civilization? They established communities that were based on all laws and actions on God's law. In 2 Nephi chapter 5 verse 10, It says, we did observe to keep the judgments and the statutes and the commandments of the Lord in all things, according to the law of Moses. And then here, when we come to these chapters with Jacob teaching the Nephites, he teaches them, you're Israel. And as Israel, that's not enough. You can't just say, oh, you know, I'm Israel and I have access to these covenants, pat myself on the back, so special. Uh Uh-uh. If you're Israel, you need to follow Israel's laws. Israel's government and Israel's leaders. So in 2 Nephi chapter 10, Jacob talks not just to the Nephites in his days, but he talks about the last days. And he says, in the last days, God is going to destroy the power of this great and abominable church. How? By physically gathering out all of those who decide, you know what? I am Israel and I want these covenants. I want this bloodline. And together they're going to establish a land of liberty. So here in 2 Nephi 
chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, Jacob says, This land shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles, and there shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles. I will fortify this land against all other nations, and he that fighteth against Zion shall perish, saith God. For he that raiseth up a king against me shall perish. For I, the Lord, the King of heaven, will be their king, and I will be a light unto them forever that hear my words. The founding of the Nephite nation literally began with a father, a descendant of Joseph of Egypt, waking up and realizing that he was in a culture where the people had rebelled, and he looked back to his fathers and set up a new civilization, and his sons continued that, and we have the Book of Mormon today. The founding of America literally also began with Israel waking up and realizing, whoa, we have left the path. We've rebelled, and then they wanted to go back. And so what did God do for both? God created a safe country, a safe place with complete freedom, protection. And you know what? At the beginning, there were very low rates of crime, almost no abuse, no broken marriages, because God promised. He says, you follow my laws. We can do this. Will you listen to me? And so President Benson actually made a statement about this where he emphasized that this was the founding moorings and the founding um, ideals of the nation of the United States of America. He said, quote, it was a divine way in which this nation began. The rules of conduct were taken from the Decalogue, from the Bible, from the Gospels and other scriptures. They kept a sacred Sabbath. They maintained other high standards. They frowned upon profanity and other vices. They prohibited gambling They encouraged people not to keep bad company, to repeat no grievances. They emphasized the spiritual values, end quote. This is the same with the Nephite nation. Jerem 1, 5, we learn, quote, Behold, 200 years had passed away, and the people of Nephi had waxed strong in the land. How? They observed to keep the law of Moses and the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord, and they profaned not. Neither did they blaspheme, and the laws of the land were exceedingly strict, end quote. That was the foundation. That is how they prospered. That is how the early colonists prospered. And when you look at the early foundations of America, in Massachusetts, uh, they had a code drafted by John Cotton. It formed the legal basis for several colonies. And Section 5 of that code stated, Quote, no custom or prescription shall ever prevail amongst us that can be proved to be morally sinful by the word of God. In other words, the scriptures were used in the court of law when deciding cases in the community. The word of God was literally part of the legal code. Now, the Puritans are often very criticized for this, and this is seen as a very negative thing. They're criticized for their strict biblical laws. In contemporary society, basing law upon scripture is considered fanatical. To look to scripture in politics or legal proceedings is just weird. But gratefully, as Latter-day Saints, we have the Book of Mormon to help correct this uninformed thinking, to help us understand from God's perspective 
He doesn't see that as weird. Mosiah actually instructed the Nephite judges to, quote, judge the people according to the commandments of God. In other words, the Book of Mormon clearly teaches that all good laws must be based upon the scriptures. And according to the Book of Mormon, then the Puritans were not fanatical in their ideals. This is why the Book of Mormon, the most correct book, is so critical. It can help us correctly discern between the Lord's perspective on law and that of the world in our day. And actually, there's a really good book. It's called From Tyndale to Madison. And if you read it, um, the author, Michael Ferris, documents that so many concepts of liberty and freedom that sometimes in our secular textbooks we attribute to coming from secular or even atheist and agnostic philosophers or writers, that if you actually study the history, those concepts of freedom actually came from the Bible and from the reformers. Now, as we have seen a moving away from this Christian foundation, we have seen suffering. And President Joseph Fielding Smith, the grandson of Hiram Smith, actually taught that the Great Depression in the 1900s was caused by wickedness. This was his statement. This may be controversial, but this this is the testimony of a prophet of God. He said, quote, Depression has come because we have forsaken God. The people of this nation and the people of other nations have forsaken the Lord. We have violated his laws. We have not considered that we were under obligation to keep his commandments. And the laws of the land, as well as the laws of God, are not respected. The Sabbath day has become a day of pleasure, a day of boisterous conduct, a day in which the worship of God has departed and the worship of pleasure has taken its place. I am sorry to say that many of the Latter-day Saints are guilty of this. We should repent, end quote. Now, President Smith made that comment in the 1900s. Coming now forward to the 21st century today, we have seen a sharp decline, including among members, of how we treat the Sabbath day, of how we keep these commandments as a society. And if we study the Book of Mormon and if we study these prophets, we should consider, hmm, maybe we need to reconsider our actions and look back. This is a specific message in the Book of Mormon, this message of looking back. When we released Lesson 2 in this four-day podcast, there was a comment that we got from someone saying, wait, you're saying that Mormon is paralleling with the Reformation? Why would Mormon do that? That doesn't make sense. When the Book of Mormon came out, um, the Reformation was way in the past. Why, why would Mormon parallel something that had already taken place? He said, I think the Reformation period can be seen as a definite type and shadow, but by the time the Book of Mormon gets revealed, those events are already well known. It's 400 years old. So if we're likening the scriptures to our day, we wouldn't be looking to the Reformation as a parallel, but only things in the future. And he's making a good point. He's asking a good question here. And so I want to ask that question. Well, why would Mormon care to parallel the Reformation? Because the foundation is strong. They had it figured out. Just like in Nephi's day, Nephi and Jacob and Lehi, the foundation was firm for 
the beginning of the signs of the times, the reformers, the early colonists, they are examples to look to. And Mormon actually tries to make this point, I would submit, later in the Book of Mormon in Helaman. So in Helaman, we're going to, as we go through the timeline of the Book of Mormon, we're going to see that the Book of Helaman is very parallel for our day. In the book of Helaman, there is the prophet Nephi, not to be confused with Nephi at the beginning, but this Nephi towards the end. And he is watching the members of the church in the Nephite church in just a state of awful wickedness, of pride. He's seeing the Nephite nation falling apart with Gadiant and robbers usurping the power. No one's keeping the commandments. And he's trying to preach and he's actually rejected. And he talks about this great iniquity and his heart is just swollen with sorrow. And he gives this great lament. He cries out. He says, oh, that I could have had my days in the days when my father Nephi first came out of the land of Jerusalem, that I could have joyed with him in the promised land. Then were his people easy to be entreated. They were firm to keep the commandments of God. They were slow to be led to iniquity and they were quick to hearken unto the words of the Lord. Oh, if my days could have been in those days, then would my soul have had joy in the righteousness of my brethren. And he says, instead, my soul's filled with sorrow. In other words, why is Mormon putting this in the book Mormon? Why? Right about the time that parallels with our day are the great men looking back to the beginning to say, Oh, that was the good times. Those were the, those were the highlights. We want to get back to that because it's all about restoration and resurrection. Look back, restore the government, restore the culture. We need to restore our music, our dress, our fashion, our entertainment, restore our doctrine, restore the physical body, our health, resurrection. Now, as we close out this lesson We do not have time to go into 2 Nephi chapter 8 verses 17 through 21. So I'm just going to make a point and then you can go study this on your own. But in this work of restoration and resurrection, do we just head off on our own, you know, autonomous, independent? How do we want to rebuild? How do we want to restore? How do we want to resurrect? How do we want to rebuild civilization? Or are there leaders that we need to look to? Well, in 2 Nephi chapters 8, verses 17 through 21, Jacob quotes Isaiah, clarifying that, yes, there are leaders, and if we want to rebuild, we have to submit and listen to these leaders. He says, awake, awake. Again, he's quoting Isaiah, and he says, oh, stand up, O Jerusalem, you that have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. In other words, he's saying, you're suffering and you're in a state of falling apart. So wake up and realize, he says, that you as Israel have none to guide her among all the sons she hath brought forth. All of the sons that she hath brought up, there's none to take her by the hand. And then he says, but these two sons are come unto thee who shall be sorry for thee. So in other words, You're going to be in a state, Israel, where there are no great leaders. There's no one that can, that understands how to turn this mess around and you need help. You need someone to come and guide you by the hand. And so God is going to send two sons, two 
they're going to come to you and they're going to be so sorry for you. They're going to be heartbroken for Israel, her desolation and her destruction, her famine, the sword. I want you to remember Isaiah was writing this in his day, but these passages are about the last days. These passages are about us. This is for us. So Lord says, I'm going to send these two sons to you, Israel, these two men, these two leaders who are going to comfort you because he says in verse 20, you're, all of your sons have fainted, all of them, except for these two. But they lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. Now it's interesting. The wild bull is a symbol of the tribe of Joseph. So keep that in mind. Um, and definitely a symbol of the wild bull had two horns. It was Joseph's symbol because it was a symbol of gathering Israel, pushing Israel together. And these two men are full of God's power. Now, it's interesting if you go to the Isaiah version of this section, remember Jacob is quoting Isaiah, but if you actually go to the King James version of Isaiah, the wording is different. Instead of saying these two sons are coming to thee, it actually says these two things are coming to thee. Things. I just find that fascinating. This is a blessing that we have from the Book of Mormon. Some additional clarification. Something was corrupted. Somehow the two sons were deleted from the version of the Bible, but through the Book of Mormon, we have it corrected. It's not two things, and it's not a question like, is anyone going to be sorry for you? And these things are come, and it almost sounds like from the context, the things are destruction and famine. No, it's not a question. It's a statement from the Lord. The Lord is going to send two sons to save Israel. Now, in the resources for this lesson, we have some material talking about these prophecies and these prophecies that are throughout the scriptures and in ancient Jewish tradition, that there would be two messiahs that would be sent to this earth. Now, when we say messiah, we're not saying two atoning men. We're not saying two capital sons of God, like literal sons of God. Um, a messiah just means anointed one. So essentially two men anointed by God to come and save Israel. And the ancient Jews said that this would be Messiah ben David and Messiah ben Joseph. And so many um, just different scholars and different research has been done really showing that Messiah ben David and Messiah ben Joseph are Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith, these two men working together to restore Israel. I'm afraid to say I cannot go into for time all of that into this podcast right here, but we have two long podcasts plus a ton of other resources in the lesson supplement material, the set the course section in the four day course for lesson eight. So definitely go check that out. But just to close here, this is the call. If you want to restore, you want to resurrect, it is time to look back, back to our moorings, back to the commandments and back to Jesus Christ and the restoration and the prophets and the keys and the authority that he has sent. It will work. And Jacob gives this call to the Nephites. He says, when finally Israel decides that they're not going to keep rejecting the Messiah, that they're not going to keep thinking, oh, I got to look for someone else and being deceived by false messiahs. When they finally decide, you know what? Jesus Christ knows what he's talking about. We're going to turn back to this, that when we do, we're going to discover that all of the miracles that God did for our fathers can happen to us. 
And that just as the title page of the Book of Mormon says, the covenants of the Lord, when we come to know them, we will know that we are not cast off. No matter how bleak this world gets, no matter how dark the future gets, we don't know what we're heading into, but we can see that we are headed into tumultuous times. It is going to be crazy. But we have promises and promises of hope. We are not cast off forever. God is going to come through with those promises if we will just turn back. So my call is to every single one of you listening to this podcast, you are a rebuilder. You are a rebuilder of culture, of civilization, of truth. Look to Abraham, look to the fathers, look to the Book of Mormon, and then go out and change the world. <laughs>